Well, good morning, RCC. It's good to be with you today. My name is Ben, and I get to be the lead minister here, and uh, so excited to be with you today. If you're new, I I just want to welcome you uh, on stage, and also after service, would love for you to introduce yourself uh, to me. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online, vacation, or maybe checking us out for the first time, and you're not really sure if going to a church is uh, kind of where you're at right now. We want to welcome you. Uh, Comment hello. Let us know that you're here. Also, fill out our Connect card above the video we're providing, and we'd love to follow up with you uh, any way possible uh, that we can come alongside you. Uh, we did, uh, I want to, we're kind of like five weeks away from finishing this epic 90-day journey through Mark, and so I just want to remind everyone, if, if you're new to RCC, or if you haven't picked up a devotional uh, that we wrote called The Way, this is written by men and women and other ministers of RHM churches in New England, and so it's, it's kind of fun to read uh, devotionals from folks that go to here, go to this church, as well as sitting in on Sunday morning and going through the text together. Uh, and so if you're kind of like me, where if you weren't here on week one, you're like, ah, forget it, I'm not going to start it. Uh, that's not the point of this. The point is just, it's a journey, it's a devotional, it's an invitation to, you know, if you're not, if you're not really sure where to start reading your Bible, uh, this would be a great start for you. Uh, so you can pick that up out of the connection point. I think we're still asking for a $10 donation. If you don't have it, you can, you can take it, okay? Um, today we're going to talk about uh, the, the way through um, rest and silence. Last weekend we talked about retreating, so it's going to talk, it's going to feel probably a little similar. Um, I, I grew up in a pretty loud house. Uh, I started playing guitar in eighth grade, so the first songs I learned on the guitar were Inner Sandman by Metallica. Can you say that in church? Uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, which was like four chords. And then uh, I think uh, Bush uh, Machine Head was the first song. Yeah, and then my brother was into like Dr. Dre, and we we lived in the same room. So our house was very, very loud. I I don't do quiet well. I don't like quiet rooms. I don't like quiet quiet hallways. Quiet people make me suspicious. (laughs) Uh, I'm just, and all the introverts laughed at me, yes. Yeah, joke's on me. I don't like quiet churches, especially at night. It's kind of creepy. I, I, don't, I don't do quiet well. Uh, I, I grew up in a loud family. Um, kind of uh, my wife is like, you don't, expe- you don't meet Ben, you experience him. Um, and I, I just kind of live life out loud. Uh, if, you, uh, if you think I'm weird, you're probably not wrong, but I have science to back me up. And we're, we live in the, the Western world, and so a religion is hard for people, unless if they have facts. So I have facts that say I'm not crazy. Uh, there's a French uh, doctor by the name of Dr. Alfred uh, Tomias, and he says this, um, the ear has a poor psychological response to pure sounds. It loves complexity. See, it loves nirvana. Prob- probably not. Probably not. In order for the ear to respond tangibly, that's a new word I learned this week, a minimum of three frequencies must be put into simultaneously play. So our ear has a propensity to complexity. I, I think like the bumper video, our lives have a propensity to complexity. Uh, we make things harder than they need to be. We, we overschedule ourselves probably more than we should. And the thing we run away, the thing we run away from silence, rest, and solitude, all the things that Jesus invites us into, uh, we want to ray from him. But as you're going to discover today, maybe for the first time or be remembered again, God's in rest. God's in the silence. God's in the stillness. Now, before we jump to Mark, uh, I want to share a quick story 
of a prophet named Elijah. And a prophet, if you're kind of unfamiliar with the scriptures, a prophet's kind of like what, what, what I do, although I don't predict the future, because that would make me crazy. But a prophet spends time with the Lord. The Lord gives them a word and shares that with the Israelite community. Sometimes it's, you know, hellfire and brimstone. You're, you're going the wrong way. If you don't repent, God's going to discipline you because uh, he is a good father. Good fathers don't, you know, just because you have a good father doesn't mean he never disciplines you. And then there are times where the prophet says, uh, the Lord wants, to wants me to tell you how, um, how proud uh, of you he is. And so the role of the prophet was to listen to God and speak on God's behalf. And so Elijah is invited to go to this mountain to hear from the Lord. And this is how God decides to show up. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After, uh, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. Like at this point, I'm going home, if I'm Elijah. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Uh, if, you, if you kind of um, tease out the word whisper in Hebrew, it could mean several things. It could mean stillness, it could mean calmness, and it could mean sheer, utter silence. That God, listen, this one, like, God's voice is heard in silence. God speaks in silence. Like that somehow is auditorially, like, we should be able to hear that? And see, I think if we live tired, hurry, busy lives, we think God is in these, these big moments. And He is, sure. But we often find in the Scriptures that God is in the quiet moments. Uh, he's talking to us, which doesn't make sense uh, at first. Uh, listen, He talks to us in silence. Uh, Jesus was uh, on a boat with his disciples and uh, woke him up from a deep sleep. You ever been woken up from a deep sleep and uh, it was projected on you that there was an emergency you had to attend to? Well, the disciples were freaking out because they thought the storm they were in was going to kill them, which was common in the first century with fishermen, sure. And Jesus gets up and looks at the storm and says, quiet, be still. I think if Jesus had a Twitter, that would be the thing he would tweet to Americans. I don't think the first thing out of his mouth, as it was in Mark 1, repent for the kingdom of God is here. I don't think it would be that. I think it would be quiet, be still. Because what I want to tell you, you're not even, you're not even living at a pace where you can hear me. Like, I, I want to get to the cross part, but you're so busy and scheduled and hurried that the ultimate things I want to tell you, you first have to be quiet. Uh, Mark Batterson is a pastor in, uh, in D.C., and he wrote a book called Whisper, which is a great book if you're um, interested in trying to uh, develop your prayer life and hear God in the silence. And in the book Whisper, he says, Whispering is typically employed, employed for the sake uh, of secrecy. No form of communication is more intimate, and it seems to be God's preferred method. I find this to be true in my life. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But the thing that I run from, silence, is the place where God is. Uh, in Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, if you have your smartphones, you're welcome to Google it. 
uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. Jesus is going to have a conversation about silence and rest and, and, and Shabbat, Sabbath. In Mark 2, 23, Mark writes these words. On Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along, and they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath, right? Like every youth pastor has that kid that hangs out in the back and is doing something that he shouldn't, right? Jesus is walking from town to town. It doesn't seem like this is that important of a text. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, find that the disciples are picking the heads of grain, which on the Sabbath, according to the religious leaders, I mean, it's exhausting even trying to explain it to you, would consider that work which would be unlawful, which would be a sin. And if Jesus, who claims to be a rabbi, to know the Torah, the first five books of your Old Testament, surely he would come down on, I would probably guess this was Peter doing this. He's always doing crazy, dumb things, right? I'm sure this is Peter. Surely Jesus would come down on Peter and say, well, Peter, what are you doing? We don't work on the Sabbath. But this is how Jesus chooses to answer the Pharisees. And in good Jewish fashion, he doesn't give them a direct answer. He tells a story or asks questions. Jesus says, hey, ha have you never heard of David? Which is kind of, like, uh, offensive. Like, of course they've heard of David, right? Have you never heard what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which he wasn't supposed to, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So I want to share with you three uh, ideas I think that we can rest in when we practice Sabbath. And the first is this, that Sabbath or rest, it's, it's the same, same word, Sabbath or rest was never intended to be a rule to follow, but a relationship to enjoy. Sabbath was never intended to be a rule to follow, but it was intended to be a relationship to enjoy. Actually, if we did a series on the Ten Commandments, you could make that statement about every single commandment, where it finds its ultimate meaning. You shift from watching a show in black and white to color. It has, all Ten Commandments have its ultimate meaning in Jesus. And so often, Religious people, Christians in particular, they get hung up in obeying the rules that they miss Jesus, which is kind of what the Pharisees were doing. If you're unfamiliar with the Sabbath and Old Testament history, uh, the Jewish people practiced what they would call it Shabbat, and they still practice it today. There were three primary purposes for practicing Shabbat uh, in the Old Testament, and even here in the New Testament. Number one, it was to commemorate God's creation of the universe. God's in charge, okay? Uh, you can have a great career, successful life, but in the end, it all goes in the box. God calls all the shots. God's, we would say, a theological word is God is sovereign. He rules over everything. Secondarily, it's to commemorate the Israelites' redemption from slavery in Egypt. Did you know that sinning is not restful living? Sure, you know that. You think about, it, it, maybe this is you or a friend or a loved one or a family member, like addicts people that bounce from relationship to relationship, uh, people that are making high-risk decision after high-risk decision, uh, students that have been in you know, the 10 years I was in student ministry, uh, making poor decisions, going too far with their girlfriend or their boyfriend, sharing too much, and by too much I mean everything through a text message, and whatever you just thought is what I meant. Right? Sin is not restful, is it? 
because we feel like we're on the run, kind of like the prodigal son story. And part of practicing Sabbath, part of practicing rest, is the Jews were reminded that I was once under the thumb of Pharaoh, or as Paul would say in Romans, I was once under the, the dominance of sin, the thumb of sin, but now I have salvation in Jesus, so now I can rest. I don't have to, and people struggle with it, it's, it's what it means to be human, I don't have to live, <coughs> excuse me, high-risk behavior. I don't have to make high-risk decisions anymore because I can rest. See, part of being a Jesus follower means not that your spirit is at rest. It means your body and your health, your whole being is at rest. Number three, it was a taste of the messianic age. It was, it was this, it was this um, sort of futuristic hope of, man, when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring ultimate rest. And where the Pharisees were at in their journey uh, and where religious people are, which is why I, one of the reasons why I think, and there are many, one of which is mom and dad don't take kids to church as much as they did like back in the 90s. But one of the reasons why church is on the decline is because people and my millennial friends, I'm technically a millennial, I'm sliding, you know, I'm on the upper end, I slid under the tag, but I'm in that more, I'm more Gen X than anything, is uh, the fact that we find church irrelevant because when we go to church, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. And so Pharisees would teach that the rule came before the relationship. Like we would, we would call this, um, we would call this abusive relationship if you were dating or in a marriage. And by that, I mean, you're not worthy of love until you meet someone else's criteria. You have to obey these rules, do these things. Um, and basically you're under the thumb of somebody else. And before God gave the 10 commandments to the Israelites, he told them, I am your God, you will be my people. I will lead you. Then he gave the rules. Because Jesus is saying, you, you can have the, you actually, all right, don't, don't get up and leave after the statement. I'll explain it. You actually don't need Jesus to go to heaven. You can justify your life by being perfect under the law. I'm, I'm already out, <laughs> you know? I mean, who among us survived middle school with being perfect? Uh, and so, so Jesus says, you're going to need the relationship before the rule, because when the stuff in your life hits the fan and you break the rule, you're going to need the relationship to what we would say in the church, disciple you, to come alongside you. And Jesus is saying, no one, no one that I created is a definition of their worst moment when they break the law, when they sin, whatever that is for you. You know what it is in your mind if you're willing to engage with the sermon and be honest. And Jesus is saying, I, you're going to need that relationship on the front end because when you sin and break the law, you're going to need the relationship on the back end. And the Pharisees, <laughs> you know you're religious when you care that people are pulling uh, the heads off of the grain fields. Like, really? Like, that's... And here's the deal. I'm taking a long time to explain this, but I feel, since the Spirit has invited me to stay here, uh, the, the, the thing is, maybe not because I totally lost what I was going to say, <laughs> is, um, <laughs> is uh, you're welcome if you're watching online, is, <laughs> is the fact that we can hide from a relationship with the Lord as long as we're being good. And Jesus doesn't invite us to be good. He invites us to follow him. And so the Pharisees were kind of banking on this idea, I could be a good Jew and obey the Torah, then I'll get to heaven. But what the Pharisees didn't realize, and they couldn't because he wasn't born yet, is that Beethoven, Symphony Number no. 5 in C minor, 
is actually, believe it or not, you're like, where's he going with this? Hang, hang on. Uh, is actually helpful to this conversation. There's a very important note that Beethoven starts this piece out with, and we're going to play the first 20 seconds, 27 seconds of the song. Let me, uh, and then I'll ask you if you can find the note. Anybody know what the first note is? What's the first note? Uh, eighth rest. Eighth rest, because you were in the first service, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the song also makes me want to go to Panera Bread for some reason. Um, <laughs> the, the song starts in the eighth note of rest, which is to say the song starts in silence. Now, I'm not that smart uh, to know what I'm about to tell you in music, so I, I, I walked down the hallway of our offices and talk to Professor Yakey, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the bin folds of music here at RCC. And this is what this means. Uh, music is very similar in the use of cadence and the corresponding silence. See, at this point, I was like, just email to me. <laughs> and the corresponding silence is rest, is critical in the forward motion of a song. If there were no breaks in the music, it would just be noise or nirvana. But with a cadence, an ending point, a subsequent rest, it's the composer's opportunity to end one musical thought and move on to another thought. Rest is the invitation to say something new is going to happen. And Jesus is saying, guys, I, I know that you care that Peter picked the heads off a of grain, but you're missing the point of Sabbath. You're missing the point of rest. It's not about obeying the rule to the nth degree. It's about enjoying me. See, uh, you can, you're not going to find me in the fire. You're not going to find me in the earthquake. You're going to find me in the eighth note. You're going to find me in the silence. You're going to find me in the rest. Isn't that beautiful? Man, that's so thankful for Brian. That <laughs> um, was supposed to be serious, but you tell enough jokes, people don't know if you're serious or not. Uh, secondly, the Sabbath or rest, I love this idea, sabotages, sabotages, it's that lisp in the word S, our self-justification. Uh, Eric Liddell in the 20s ran in the Olympics, pretty, fam uh, pretty popular guy, you may or may not have heard about his story. We've got a photo of him, and uh, he was actually, he's a Christian, a missionary, encouraged to not run and just continue to be a missionary, preach the gospel. Uh, he was favored to win gold medals in every heat or race that he, uh, he signed up for. And now what's interesting about this, these games in particular is that there was another man by the name of Harold Abrams, and they both had different perspectives of what running meant to them. And I want you to hear the difference, maybe even see it. In one scene of the film Chariots of Fire, which tells the story of Eric Liddell, uh, Abrams is quoted as saying, And now in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide with ten lonely seconds, to justify my whole existence. But will I? What a powerful statement. Where are you, <laughs> where are we as a church, 
right, individually but collectively as a, as a, as a corporate body, where are we trying to justify our existence? In our parenting, in our dating, our marriage, our jobs, with our bosses, with who, what, whatever, who, with the voices in our heads. Like, where are we trying to justify ourselves? Because what he just said was a statement of identity. I am what I do. And if you're here last weekend, we talked about this idea that God created human beings not human doings. Our identity comes not in our work and our effort, but sitting in our silence and rest and hearing what Jesus, how Jesus defines us. Here's what Eric Liddell said about his perspective of running. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So it doesn't matter for Eric if he loses. I mean, he's an athlete. I'm sure it does to some degree. But he's not, like, his life is not going to be devastated. If you don't believe that you worship something other than God, let me ask you this really hard question. What's the thing that, if taken away from your life, you would completely lose it? Everything would fall apart. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, Jesus the King, which walks through the Gospel of Mark, I'd encourage you to read it. It's something that I'm reading to write these sermons. He says, Harold Abrams was weary even when he rested, and Eric Liddell was rested even when he was exerting himself. Why? Because there's a work underneath our work that we really need to rest from, which is the work of self-justification. That's why we need to rest. One of, one, of the, one of the many reasons why we need to rest, because we have a propensity to justify ourselves. We have a propensity to tell ourselves and tell other people, see, I matter too. I exist too because I do these things. We don't really talk about in the language of I matter too because I am these things the way Jesus defines me. In uh, Romans 6.14, Paul says it this way, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law. You're actually under grace. So I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to rewrite the Bible here, but if you took out the word sin and you took out the word or the phrase under the law, what is that thing that, is, that, you, that you're using to justify yourself in your existence? Because you might even, I might even argue that that might be equal to sin. Anything that's keeping your distraction away from Jesus. So let me read that again. And when you hear the word sin, replace it with that thing that's keeping you distracted. For, for parenting, my job, my boss, my emotional health, my neighbors, my income, my future, uh, my surgeries, my medical diagnosis will not be my master. It will not be my identity. I will not answer to that thing because I am not under cancer I'm not under car wrecks. I'm not under job loss. I'm not under anxiety. I'm not under marriage. I'm not under parenting. I'm not defined by any of those things. I'm actually under the grace of Jesus. And if we don't rest, we'll continually justify ourselves. And uh, probably, unbeknownst to us, we'll push away a lot of people that care for us. Thirdly and finally, Sabbath or rest, uh, it is our salvation. It's where we find joy in our salvation. Jesus in Mark 2.28 says, The Son of Man is Lord of, even of the Sabbath. Notice what he didn't say. And listen, I need you to, to listen to this, okay? This might sound controversial. That's fine. 
Jesus did not say, I'm the divine consciousness. It's really cool, it's really sexy, it's really trendy to read guys like Deepak Chopra, to read New Age men, New Age women that say it's not about religion or, you know, there's not one way to heaven. Uh, It's about realizing your highest level of consciousness. Jesus never said that. He's like, nope, I'm God. I'm God of rest. I'm the God of the eighth note. I'm the God of silence. I'm the the God of in between uh, the moment that crushed your life to wondering when it's ever going to be better. I'm in the waiting. I'm in that moment. I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a rabbi that teaches people about rest. No, I'm the God of rest, that when you rest with me, you're going to find life, which is, not the same, which is not the same thing as I'm going to go to church my whole life and never be with Jesus, because it's easy to go to church your whole life and think you're resting, which, no, 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 this is a one-on-one deal. I keep saying this like every week during this series, kind of like when Mary found out that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, Like, that was a special gift just for her. And God has special gifts just for us when we go on retreat, when we're silent, and when we rest. Uh, One of my favorite questions in in youth ministry, and adults ask this too, did God rest after Genesis and the cross because he was tired? In Genesis 2, 2 through 3, Moses, uh, who wrote Genesis, um, said the seventh day God finished his work he uh, he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Man, that's a whole other sermon. But uh, because, on it, he, because on it, he rested from all the work creating uh, cr- what he had created. Notice what Jesus does in John 19 on the cross. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Uh, the father did not rest after creation because he was tired. Jesus does not rest after the cross because uh, he's tired. God rests because he's satisfied with his work. And unlike a workaholic, he doesn't move on to the next project. He takes a moment to go, man, look what I've done. Look who I've created. Look at all the people in New England that I've created that that are tired, that are hurried, that are busy, that think church is irrelevant, just waiting for someone to invite them (laughs) into a relationship with me. I'm just waiting. Jesus didn't say it is finished because he was tired, which I'm not minimizing crucifixion. It's the worst form of capital punishment, in my opinion, in human history. He said he was finished because he was pleased and the Father was pleased with his sacrifice, which is to say that if your life is under the cross, the Father is satisfied with you. He's not tired of you or with you. He's satisfied with you. We need to go on retreat. We need to rest. We need to not run from silence. Uh, I'm going to do something with our church today that I do one-on-one with people for spiritual direction. And uh, I want to invite you into a uh, sort of a a prayer experience. It's a soul reflection. And we're going to ask some questions on the screen, uh, which, by the way, are great questions for you to think through as you go on retreat, you sit in silence. So uh, I want to invite you to uh, fully engage in this if you desire and um, give the Spirit permission to bring up whatever he, he wants to bring up.